0: It's so quiet in here. Sometimes it feels like it would be nicer to just sit quietly. <laughs> and yet my task here is to give a talk. And so I will uh, break the silence. The main practice that we're exploring here together is mindfulness. And the Buddha offered instructions for us. One of the main teachings in the texts called the Satipatthana Sutta explores how we establish mindfulness and the kind of experiences that we attend to Satipatthana Sutta describes four establishments of mindfulness. Sometimes the word is translated, the Satipatthana is translated as foundation of mindfulness. But uh, Bhikkhu Analyo has made a case for the word establishing, establishment, establishing. and To me that has a more resonant feeling because what these practices do, these, these um Descriptions of these practices uh, help us to cultivate this quality of mindfulness, so that it becomes established in our minds, stable in our minds, and that that kind of stability, establishing stability. It's another way we could look at what a foundation is. But to me, the word foundation sounds like a noun, and establishing. Feels more like an activity, and that's what we're doing. We're establishing mindfulness. So these four areas, um, which I'm not going to go into this evening in detail at all, um, but just briefly name. He ha- he explores the foundation establishing mindfulness of the body, which is very much what we're looking at in these first few days. And then feeling, whether experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. The second foundation, mindfulness of feeling. Feeling tone, we sometimes say. The third foundation is mindfulness of mind states. Qualities in our mind wholesome qualities, unwholesome qualities. And particularly in this foundation, beginning to understand the difference between wholesome and unwholesome qualities of mind. Such an important uh, exploration for us in our practice. On the fourth foundation, it's a little harder to describe. It's called the foundation of Dhamma. Dhamma can be translated just to mean experience. And so basically... Mindfulness of experience or mindfulness of phenomena. But the, um, that particular part of the text explores mindfulness of phenomena, one of the definitions of the word dhamma. It explores the phenomena of our experience through various dharma lenses, dharma lenses, some of the various lists that the Buddha talked about. And so, in a way, this fourth foundation is exploring experience in terms of the Dharma. We could look at it that way. And So, this is a little bit about uh, what we explore in our mindfulness practice. But at the beginning of this teaching, at the beginning of the sutta, the Buddha, um, there's a few words, actually, just in a few sentences he encapsulates the the teaching in summary before he goes on to elaborate it. And there's one phrase that gets repeated a few times that basically defines what our mindfulness practice is. I'll read that to you. And this is repeated four times, one for each of the four foundations. And the first time I say it, I'll just use the body uh, in terms of this sentence. One abides observing the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, putting away desires and discontent for the world. And he repeats that. One abides observing feelings as feelings, ardent, fully aware, and mindful putting away desires and discontent for the world and likewise for mind states and for phenomena so i want to explore this sentence what is it pointing us to it really to me begins to help us understand what we're doing here not only how what we pay attention to but how how do we pay attention What does wise mindfulness mean? So this definition includes the word mindful. The establishment of mindfulness, the definition of how mindfulness is established, includes the word mindful, which is kind of interesting. And so I'll start with that word, that's the one we're most familiar with often. So just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page around what mindfulness is. Actually, the more that I practice, the more mysterious mindfulness seems to me. It's more, seems more like a state. It feels more like a state than something we do. And yet there is a way in which we begin to get familiar with what it's like when we know that we're aware maybe that's a good working definition for mindfulness knowing that we're aware being aware that we're aware other words that evoke what this quality often means to us presence awareness is a good word actually I love the word awareness for mindfulness to me it's much more evocative of the quality of the feeling that's present when mindfulness is strong, the word mindfulness is such a technical kind of term, and it sounds mental. And uh, mindfulness, when it's established, has much more of a. It doesn't just feel like it's up here in the head at all. It feels much more pervading. And awareness has that that quality for me. That sense of of. Uh, it's, it's got a softer feeling to it, the word awareness has a softer feeling. It feels more evocative to me of the experience that I've come to understand is mindfulness. Sometimes we explore mindfulness through words like witnessing or observing other ways to touch into it more at the sensory level the feeling of being connected with feeling into, being with experience, these kinds of words evoke what we mean by mindfulness and perhaps we could say in a more simple definition um, we know what's happening while it's happening in uh, real time is when he keeps using that phrase in real time we know what's happening while it's happening mindfulness the quality that the buddha talks about in the sutta of establishing he points to the, to this quality of establishing a kind of mindfulness that supports us to understand what is skillful and what is unskillful what leads us to suffering what leads us away from suffering? And this, um, this quality of wise mindfulness is based, I think it's based on an ordinary capacity of our minds. This capacity of our minds to be able to know that we know. This kind of self-reflective capacity that we have. It's a, it's a, it's a human kind of... Um, capacity. Not all animals have it. There are apparently some that do. But this is one of those things that really makes us human, this capacity to be aware of ourselves, to be aware that we are aware. And yet this simple reflective capacity, the ability to know that we know, while I'd say that wise mindfulness is based on it, it's not the same thing. Wise mindfulness is, is more of a perspective or a way of turning that capacity to know that we know, to observe, to be with experience in a particular way. So just to, uh, to reflect on this a little bit, actually this morning when he brought up a, a, the example of, of uh, somebody being angry, and you know, they know that they're angry, but that kind of knowing or being aware that they're angry isn't exactly what we're talking about. Much of the time, like if somebody's angry and you go up to them and say, do you know you're angry? It's like, they'll say, duh, yeah, I know I'm angry. But what they are focused on, what they are attending to, what they are aware of, is the content of why they're angry. It's focused on the situation about which they're angry. It is not generally curious about what does it feel like to be angry? That's the shift of wise mindfulness. We get curious about what, about experience as experience. Another simple way to reflect on what we're doing here. Look at as, as experience, as experience, as experience happening right now. It sounds like nothing, but this is not our usual perspective. This is not usually the way we go about relating to experience. Mostly we go about relating to experience from the perspective of what does it say about me? What should I do about this? How can I do something with this? M- much more rarely, at least for me, until I actually met this teaching, and it was kind of not intuitive to me. I got this book. I I was experiencing a lot of anger, and uh, a friend of mine asked me if she could send me a Dharma book. And I said, "Well, nothing else has worked. Sure, go <laughs> ahead." You know, and I and I read this book, and, and basically, what I gleaned from this book is in terms of my anger, try being aware that you're angry, when you're angry. And and I thought, what good is that going to do? Isn't that just going to make me more angry? But, you know, I had had nothing else better to try. (laughs) And so I tried it. And the first, you know, kind of waking up into it, it's like, oh, I, I told myself I'd be aware of this, and wow, wow, this hurts. This doesn't feel very good. And so even in just that simple instruction of know that you're angry when you're angry, it pointed out to me something very fundamental about that anger, which is it's painful. And in that that experience, in that particular experience, what happened in that moment was, wow, I have no idea what to do with this. I guess I go back to work. And that, actually, in retrospect, was a pretty powerful shift for me because in previous times that the anger had been running, it had just been running. The mind had been caught in the anger, thinking about the person I was angry with, spinning it up, and it was just amping up. It wasn't even possible to go back to work. I was just sitting frozen in front of my computer And so this simple, simple tool, the very first time I tried it, allowed me to, wow, that hurts. Okay, don't know what else to do. I guess I go back to work. What a difference in experience. And so that shift to be curious about your experience as experience. We could say being curious about What is it like to be a human being that's experiencing whatever's happening right now? What's it like to be a human being feeling knee pain? What's it like to be a human being feeling vibratory energy in the body? What's it like to be a human being hearing? What's it like to be a human being experiencing frustration or confusion? This is, is turning us towards the experience in and of itself. Satipatthana Sutta has these categories of what we pay attention to. It's like it's got to pay pay attention to establish mindfulness of the body, establish mindfulness of feeling, establish mindfulness of mind states, and then establishing mindfulness of phenomena through through a Dharma perspective or a Dharma lens. And we might think that this limits us in terms of what we pay attention to. But... This set of things, this set of this description of things to notice, it's everything in our human experience. There's nothing that you experience that is left out of the Satipatthana Sutta. And so, whatever is coming up for you, there's a way in which we can attend to it from this perspective and curious about it as experience. And so this is the the, the the Satipatthana Sutta points to the what we attend to and how and this um, being attentive to experience as experience is a kind of a key piece of that and in the definition this comes out in the part of the phrase that says aware of or abides observing the body as a body feelings as feelings mind states as mind states this to me is what he's pointing to and I'll get into that in in just a moment in a little bit more detail so I want to Think about the words associated with this phrase. One abides, observing, the body as a body, ardent, mindful, fully aware, putting away desires and discontent for the world. The first word there, I don't know whether we'll get through all the words, just... You know, we'll see how far we get. (laughs) Um, The first word abides. I love that word. It it also has an evocative feeling for me. If you're told, you know, to abide with something, how does that feel? Abide with your breath. I was teaching this teaching at one course where it was a kind of an interchange, it was not a long silent retreat, it was a kind of a study course. And I invited the room to kind of offer phrases or words that the, wor- that, that the word abides evokes. And some, of the, some folks would, would say things like, oh, relaxation, or home, and these are some of the meanings Of abide, ease, this quality. This is what this word evokes for me. And somebody said, "What it brings up for me is the dude abides." (laughs) That from that movie, The Great Lebowski. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of what it's talking about, you know? Yeah, the dude abides, at ease, (laughs) no problem. Now, it may not be that kind of laissez-faire feeling, that just like, yeah, whatever, it's not that. But it is this quality of ease and relaxation. I love that this is the first word in this sentence. It It has been a long time coming for me that relaxation was really understood to be a foundational part of the practice. Our, our system, our, 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 um, our organism is kind of designed to be aware in this natural quality of mindfulness I spoke about earlier, this being aware in the present moment. I mean, a baby is born and that's what they are, right? I mean, they are just aware. You can see it in their eyes and how curious they are and alert and interested in what's going on. That's a natural quality in our system. And kind of like what gets in its way is our mind being caught up in thoughts or worries or concerns. Tension in the mind gets in the way of this very natural capacity. Tension in the body affects tension in the mind. And so if we can relax the body... We may find that it supports an easing of the mind, a relaxing of the mind. I was talking to somebody in the last couple days about how um, the face is so um, closely connected with the mind. The expression on the face and the, the, what the the kind of feeling in the mind are very closely connected. There's even even been studies about this that if you if you um, just try it now, let your let the just take, take in how you are in this moment. And now I'd like to ask you to let the corners of your mouth turn up in a little smile and see what happens. The studies show that the expression on the face can influence the state of the mind. Relaxing the face can help relax the mind. Relaxing the body can support relaxing the mind. And then there's, a more, there's more access to this natural capacity for being aware in the present moment, and we can begin to aim it in the direction that the Buddha is suggesting. So we don't just abide. This is where the dude is not quite right. I mean, the dude abides its full stop. The dude abides. The Buddha goes on. The dude abides observing the body as a body. (laughs) (laughs) So, observing the next word. This word is... um, Similar to, the, the, the root of the word is, is, is the same as what's in the word vipassana. The passana part means to see. And the, um, the, the word is nupassana. Nupassana is the word that means observing. And the, the, the commentaries say it, it kind of has this feeling of being closely connected to, kind of r- like really engaged with. So observing seeing connected with closely connecting with and so it's to me it's kind of like a meeting meeting experience so there's abiding and meeting connecting and what do we connect with the body as a body feelings as feelings mental Uh, mental activity, mental uh, mind states as mind states. And so what does this phrase mean? A body as a body. We explored it a little bit. To me this really points to what we almost think of as mindfulness. It it kind of evokes one of the... um, One of the more famous suttas, the Bahia Sutta, which maybe one of us will speak on in more detail as the retreat goes on. In um, that sutta is a famous instruction, a short instruction to, uh, to, to, uh, uh, from the Buddha to a, a, um, not a follower, but somebody who just kind of showed up and said, hmm, I hear you've got good things to say. What do you have to say? <laughs> and the, the Buddha responded with a very pithy teaching. And he said, In the scene is only the scene this is how you should train yourself. In the seen is only the seen. In the heard is only the heard. In the sensed is only the sensed. and the cognized is only the cognized. This is how you should train yourself. And the teaching goes on to explore what the ramifications of that exploration are, which are understanding and freedom. But this... Um, a uh, seeing or, or observing the body as a body. To me, this is pointing to a similar kind of thing. It's, a, um, it's uh, in the sensed is only the sensed. In the seen is only the seen. It's not things added, extra ideas or concepts. It's coming to what we might call the more close to the bare experience. What's actually happening. We are often relating to experience through concept. At a very um, uh, deep level in our human system, this is how we navigate the world in so many ways. Perception. We look out at the at the world, we look out in this room, and we see people, and we see walls, and fans, and light, and, and uh, Zabutans. That understanding of what is seen is, um, happens because we have a lot of experience from the time we're born, and we're be- we begin to be taught what things are, this shape, his mom, this shape is food. <laughs> so we, we begin to um, make these associations. And so perception at work helps us to identify what's going on. But perception is a mental object, it's mental formation. Perception doesn't happen at the eye, perception happens in the mind. And so in a very real way, as we're navigating the world, we are relating very much through concept. And we need this. I mean, like, there have been times when I've been meditating that uh, the concepts around seeing fall away. And I do not want to get up and try to walk across the room when that's happening. Because it's pretty much just form and color. The mind is, is not kind of landing on the concepts. And so what in our experience so we can, we get closer and closer to this and in my experience this is kind of a you know we don't we don't start and we cannot try I mean don't try to see things as just form and color you will get a headache. But over time we begin to to recognize that that, that, that perception is working that ideas come in with perception and so it's, we're not just seeing a person we're seeing a person and we've also got already before, even before we meet somebody we have a whole bunch of ideas about them we have ideas about them based on how tall they are how much they weigh how, what their gender is what their sexual orientation appears to be what their skin color is we have ideas about them that we're bringing we're bringing along it's because again this is the conditioning of being human and it's natural for this to happen these conditionings what we don't often recognize is that they're happening and so in the seeing in the scene is only the scene is recognizing well they're seeing and In the cognized is only the cognized. Wow, there's all these thoughts and ideas and attitudes and views happening about that seeing. And so we're not even trying to stop necessarily all the things that are going on, but it is helpful to recognize that these things are going on as experiences in the present moment instead of simply just being swept along by the beliefs and views that we carry. There's a difference between believing something and acting out of that belief. And that often happens. The beliefs are kind of under, under, undercover for us, oftentimes. They're hiding under the surface. When we don't know that they're there, we are just acting on them as though they are truth. We just assume that this belief is true. That that's the way everybody sees things, or everybody should see things that way at the very least. And so, when we, so there's a big difference between believing something and acting on that belief, following that belief, and being aware oh, there's a belief arising in this moment. Huge difference between those two. And so, that's in the cognized is only the cognized. Awareness in in this phrase, uh, aware of, abides, observing mind states as mind states. A view is a form of a mind state. So that's knowing that mind state as a mind state. This is a view that's arising. This is not our usual perspective. And so we explore our experience, and right now we're kind of focusing, uh, to some extent, on the body. As, As Winnie said this morning, this is an easier place to begin to get a sense of what this kind of attention is like, being curious about body experience as body experience, the human experience of tingling and vibration and pulsing not so much in, in reference to I or me or mine. That's another piece, I think, of this, of this instruction. Body is a body. Not my body, but a body. What is the actual sensation level of experience? Right now in your experience. Abide observing. The body is a body. And maybe just as like the whole body. One place in the sutta says, you know, it's kind of sufficient sufficient to just know there's a body. Abide observing. There is a body. As a body. These two words together, abides, observing... I like that they're combined, because it, to me, brings together the kind of... what we've been saying, be you know, relaxed and alert, in a way. You know, it's kind of the, the connected and relaxed. Observe the body as a body. Abide observing the body as a body. And it also, to me, points to two aspects... Of um, we could we could say two aspects of attention, two ways of exploring attention. There's you know, choosing what we pay attention to. this is directing the attention. And we've talked about this a little bit with um. I use the analogy of the radio and tuning, tuning the uh, the channel, tuning the station. So that's the aiming or directing. We're we're choosing. We're choosing which channel to listen to. Maybe for the anchor, for instance, we're choosing the breath, and so we kind of tune to those sensations. So that's the observing part, that attunement. We're directing the attention, aiming the attention in a particular way. But then how do we um, meet that experience? With abiding, receiving the experience. To me that word abiding also points to this receptive quality. Mindfulness having a very, can have a very receptive quality. It's, it's helpful to, I'm going to get a little technical here, but this is, I think, a useful distinction to understand in our experience. There's a quality of mindfulness, which is just this simple capacity to know that we know. And we're working on establishing a wise form of that knowing that we know that is aimed towards or curious about experience as experience in the present moment. But the, the mindfulness is just this simple like knowing that we know. Attention is a factor of mind that selects what we know. And this factor of attention can be directed. We can choose. We, we have a capacity. There's an agency in our system that can choose to aim the attention somewhere. So right now I can suggest to tend to the sensations of your hands. Maybe you can attend for a moment to the breath. This is a function of our minds. We can choose to direct the attention. And yet, this factor of attention is also something that we if we're not choosing where to put our attention consciously, we could say our habits, our patterns, how we've been shaped, how our conditioning has unfolded to this moment, we'll choose something for us to pay attention to. And so it's kind of in some ways it's kind of like, you know, how, how the breath um, we can choose to breathe in and breathe out. We can control that to some extent. We can decide, okay, I'm going to breathe in now. I'm going to breathe out now. And yet, we don't have to do that. If we don't do that, the breath will just breathe, fortunately. And it's kind of similar with this factor of attention. We can choose where to put our attention. But if we're not consciously choosing where to put our attention, attention will be connecting to something. So that's a, a little bit about attention. Now, how does that connect to mindfulness? Mindfulness and attention are not the same thing. And we can know this, we can be aware of this through a simple uh, remembering of a, of experience we've all had, walking down the street, lost in thought. Not consciously aware of the surroundings. Recently, I was driving to uh, teach a class at the center. I I teach in in California. And um, uh, I was driving down the, the main road near where the center was, and I kind of was tracking where I was and noticed, oh, the street that I need, and saw this kind of like, the street that I need is coming up, I'm going to be turning left soon. Then mindfulness went away, completely. And the next time I woke up, it was probably 30 seconds later, uh, I was sitting at a stoplight, and uh, my eyes gazed up at the sign, and it was like, oh, that sign says Whipple. I've gone too far. (laughs) And so, you know, there was no awareness of where I was, I, I, I could in that moment, as the mindfulness came back, I remembered what I'd been thinking about. So, you know, there, there was a kind of an awareness of where the mind had been, what had, it had been kind of wrapped into. But even in reflecting back in that moment, there was no remembering at all of seeing. I did, I, I, I did not remember having driven past the intersection where I was supposed to have turned. I could remember what I'd been thinking about. And yet, that absence of awareness, that absence of mindfulness, because it was absence of mindfulness, did not mean that attention was absent. Because I didn't like crash the car. I managed to get through the stoplight and, you know, through the the intersections and stop at the stoplight. I had no memory of seeing that stoplight and stopping there. I woke up sitting at the stoplight. And so attention was was continuing. Perception was continuing, even though mindfulness was not there. And so we can tell from this kind of example, and I'm sure you all have stories like this, where you're walking down a street lost in thought, and it's like, wait, where am I? So mindfulness is this capacity to wake up into what's happening. And yet our system takes care of us. Perception goes on, mental formations go on, attention continues. And so attention and mindfulness are not the same thing. And yet early in my practice, I confused them. Because I thought that if I was not Consciously choosing where my attention was, then it meant I wasn't being mindful, and so paying attention to the breath, choosing that, being with the breath, I was being mindful. But as soon as my attention shifted to hearing, I I thought, well, that the mind, I lost mindfulness. But that's just a shift of attention, and we can be mindful of that. Mindfulness is kind of like a mirror. It's just kind of reflecting all of these processes tumbling on, including attention, including perception, including all these body sensations. And so one experience that often happens in the the style of practice that we're teaching right now, we're, we're encouraging you to rest or have a preference for the anchor. And while you're doing that, I mean, a very common experience is we're with the anchor, and then suddenly the attention is on the sound of a car going by. And we didn't choose to have that happen, but it happened. We may feel like, I lost mindfulness. I didn't choose to do that, so that was not mindful. But what often is going on there, if you see that, is you're seeing a shift of attention. You're seeing the attention shift. And then because you're mindful, you can choose either to, you know, if the sound or whatever it is that the attention has shifted to. In that case, you know, what, what happened there, the, when the attention just shifts like that, it's like usually that means that that's something that's strong that's pulling the attention. And so we can be aware of that as Winnie was describing this morning. When the attention is pulled to something else, we're just we just practice being aware of that. Sometimes this has been described as like if if the attention is drawn to something else, you let go of the breath and turn to that. Well, you've already let go of the breath. You know, it's like the the attention has already shifted. It's more about kind of uh, you know kind of having that abides-observing quality come in with whatever it is, that hearing. Oh, hearing. Abide-observing hearing right now. Hearing as hearing. And so for me, this was an important thing to begin to understand, that it didn't mean that mindfulness necessarily... I mean, sometimes it did. It did mean that when the, the mind- attention shifted to something else, the mindfulness got lost. That's a, a very common avenue of of mindfulness getting lost that there's something we're kind of paying attention to the breath or whatever our anchor is and the attention shifts to something else but our mind is kind of attuned to the breath and then the mind goes off to that car and then thinks about cars and thinks about driving down Pleasant Street and what's at the end of Pleasant Street and what maybe I can get in the store at the end of Pleasant Street and we're gone because we didn't notice that attention shift When we, when we notice that, we just say, oh, it's hearing, hearing is happening, and maybe recognizing the perception that comes with that hearing, seeing an image of a car in our mind. And so I just wanted to, to bring that in, this kind of, um, to me this abides observing kind of brings that, uh, kind of both receptive and directed qualities of awareness. We can tune the attention to an object, and then receive. Just receive that. The next word is ardent. And this word, um, the word itself doesn't kind of have a juicy quality for me. Um, maybe it has a little bit of harshness or something. I don't know. For some people, it really, it evokes something. Um, and we're just using translations here. Um, but what what it kind of points to um, is engagement, connection, ardency is... Um, Even the word ardent may have a kind of connection to heart, so maybe it's heartfelt, a connection, a heartfelt connection to experience. This is, again, a how we attend. How do we attend to experience? It also brings in ardency, brings in something of um, energy. Attending with a persistent quality, engaged, engagement, diligent, wholehearted, heartfelt, interested. That word really resonates for me. Interested. Interested in what's happening. Curious about what's happening. This is a quality that supports witnessing, observing the body as a body. Can we get curious about Wow, how does this being work anyway? And so, ardent has this quality of energy and engagement and curiosity, kind of a, an engaged part. But remember, it's got abiding in there. Abide ardently. It brings a different quality to it for me. With interest, a kind of relaxation and alertness piece again as a quality. One abides observing the body as a body, ardent. Curious. One abides observing. The body is a body. Curious. Interested. Fully aware. The next word. Sampajanya. Sometimes translated as clearly comprehending. One of the main ways this is spoken to... um, that most people are familiar with is in the Satipatthana Sutta in the foundation of the body there's a section on clear comprehension full awareness where the, the instructions are to be aware of all your activities when walking know that you're walking when standing know that you're standing when um, walking back and forth know where, that you're, what you're walking back and forth when carrying something you know you're carrying it When eating, you know you're eating. When being silent, you know you're being silent. So just an awareness of what's happening, of all activities. Elsewhere in the suttas, however, it defines clear comprehension in a more subtle way. It defines it, experience being understood as they arise, remain present, and pass away. So essentially, essentially, being curious about the impermanent nature of experience, fully aware that experience is not stable. It's arising, persisting, and passing away. And so this to me, this this phrase brings in some of the wisdom component. Several of these have brought in the wisdom component. The body is a body to me brings in some wisdom because we are encouraged to drop below the level of concept in that. Recognize uh, how much often we overlay onto our experience through the concept of self, through ideas and views and beliefs. That brings wisdom into this definition. But this also speaks to some of the understanding that begins to happen as we attend to our experience in this way, we begin to understand its impermanent nature. As we begin to understand its impermanent nature, the whole project of the way in which we usually go about our lives, holding on to things, hoping that we can arrange our lives, Get things that we like, get rid of things that we don't like. Construct a world in which we'll only have pleasant experience. We realize that whole project, as we, as we begin to attune to the changing nature of experience, we, we realize that project is, is hopeless. It's not, it's not useful. And so this begins to help the mind let go of craving and clinging. Yesterday, Rebecca talked so much about Dukkha Dukkha, the craving uh, around unpleasant experience, the craving to get rid of it. As we can begin to see the impermanent nature of experience, the holding on to something or trying to control it or manipulate it, the mind begins to understand that that project actually creates stress. The craving itself is already stress in our system. Not useful. Now that doesn't mean that we don't take action. There are times in our, in our experience that we see things that um, we see things that are unjust, that um, harm being caused in the world. And Becoming aware of that, yes, there might be craving or aversion around that. And yet, there is also the possibility of being motivated by compassion to alleviate that suffering. And so this is a, this is a kind of an understanding that, that begins to happen as we explore our experience in this way. The Buddha at one point heard in his home, home country area that there were warring factions fighting over water. And he went and stood in the middle of the battlefield and tried to stop the water war. He took action but not out of anger out of hatred out of compassion and so we you know we, we the, when we're when we're hooked into the view or the belief that craving that, that craving has the belief that's embedded in craving the delusion that's embedded in craving is that you've got to do this thing otherwise it's going to be You've got, to do, you've, got to be, you've got to do this thing and you've got to do it on my terms. Otherwise, everything's going to fall apart. What can happen as the craving begins to fall away is that we discover a whole host of different reasons to act that are based not in greed, aversion, and delusion, but instead are based in wisdom, Generosity, kindness, compassion. These qualities are active. They're a- they're all of these mind states, and so craving is a mind state, and it, it, it motivates action. It tends to motivate us to do things that, that are dictated by that craving. Compassion is also a mind state. It motivates action too. Wisdom acts compassion acts and so as the craving begins to fall away we find there are other reasons other, other other reasons that we would engage in the world when we're caught by craving craving has no clue that there are other possible motivations for acting in the world. It has us caught in that belief that, if I weren't angry about this, why would I do anything? If I weren't angry about it, it'd be like, yeah, the dude abides. But that's not what happens. As the, through this kind of training, as the heart releases greed, aversion, and delusion, beautiful qualities, the Brahmavihara qualities, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity begin to arise as kind of the emotional map of a heart that is free from greed, aversion, and delusion. And these are motivating us, motivating us to act in the world. And so this, um, uh, uh, the full awareness, the f- fully aware attuning to, beginning to attune to the changing nature of experience begins to support this kind of understanding that craving is not the only motivator out there begins to support the mind releasing craving and beginning to see that there are other other motivations that take us through the world There's one more phrase which I'll only say something briefly about. The last phrase, read the whole thing again. One abides observing the body as a body, ardent, curious, interested, mindful, fully aware putting aside desires and discontent for the world. Sometimes this is translated as free from desires and discontent for the world. It's like, wow, that's a pretty high bar. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Bhikkhu Analio points out that the poly term can actually be understood as a as, a, as an active verb. So putting aside or Uh, setting aside, that's how I I chose to speak it, setting aside desires and distress for the world, freeing oneself from. And so it can be understood, Bhikkhu Analia says, it can be understood as a process that happens as we engage in this. Not that we have to accomplish it first, but that it goes on while we practice in this way. To me, this points to the what we've been pointing to about allowing what's happening, free from desires and discontent for the world. The, the phrase "the world" uh, often the Buddha points to that as meaning the world of experience. He says, "What I mean by world is the wor- this this fathom long body, the experience of this fathom long body." So, free of desires and discontents in relationship to the experience in the, in our, in our, that's, that's happening. And so, freeing oneself from desires and discontent, the way that, that unfolds often is that we, we begin to recognize, you know, we explore the possibility of allowing what's happening. Whatever's happening, we've said this a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, the breath can be as it is, body sensations as they are, can we explore this, this possibility of allowing it to be as it is? and yet it's not always possible. There's body sensation arising and the mind doesn't like that body sensation. There's aversion. Can there be an allowing of both of those? What's happening right now, there's unpleasant body sensation, that's the body in the body, feelings and feelings, and there is aversion arising. Mind states and mind states. Can that be allowed? For me, at a certain point, it was, it was kind of like, oh, that's what's happening. Oh, there's an unpleasant sensation and I don't like it. Of course, of course I don't like it. Okay, I can allow that to be, be what's happening. And there we are in stepping into... Freeing ourselves from desires and discontent, because when we're we're caught by the aversion, so this is kind of pointing to the the difference you know between being caught by aversion and knowing that aversion is happening. maybe the aversion doesn't go away in that moment, but the relationship to it becomes very different. Caught by the beliefs around aversion, I've got to fix this, I've got to get rid of this. Versus, oh, aversion is arising. Huge difference. And so, can it be allowed? That's how this process of freeing the mind from desires and discontent unfolds. When there's discontent about something that's happening, oh, discontent is arising, can I allow discontent? Freeing ourselves from being caught by discontent We know it as an experience. Abide observing, discontent as discontent, curious, fully aware, mindful. Let's sit for a moment. There's time for walking, and in about half an hour, we'll have the chanting again. I invite you all to come for the chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.